more so than any other time, what you teach today is so important. Because if they don't learn it from you, they're going to follow something else. And it's that important to teach them. Let's pray and we're going to get into it. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for being with us, for guiding us, for ordering our steps, for keeping us this week. And we want to thank you, Lord, for those, oh God, who you have called unto yourself and who are answering your call and living out your word. And we pray, Father, that you would bless, that you would cause them to prosper, you would cause them, O oh God, to live in such a way that, Lord, people recognize that they are different. And as Christians, Lord, help us to live a life that is different from the people of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Help us, Lord, to live in a way in which we honor you and bring glory to your name. And would you, O oh God, put me behind the cross and let Christ be seen? Would your Holy Spirit minister to us this morning? Would he, O oh God, break the word, the bread of life, and feed us? Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for each heart that is here to hear from you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Why is it important for moms? Now, we'll wait for Father's Day, but mom, you share a very important role also in teaching your children. You'll either teach them the right or you'll teach them the wrong. There's nothing in between. It's the right way of living or the wrong way of living. You're going to teach it or you're not going to teach it. In Proverbs 1.8, to mothers, it says this here. And it says it to the sons. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. Now, catch the second part. Do not forsake your mother's what? Teaching. And I know sometimes moms can be a nag. I have one. And she was on us all the time. And I remember one time me and some of the guys were coming up out the basement. And um, we were talking about going down to Goodrich. Well, they used to park right at the end of Wooster Avenue, the backyard. And we were talking about, you know, back in them days, boy, you could steal hubcaps and sell them. And uh, about four or five of us coming up out the basement. We were talking about going down there where Goodrich parked their cars and stealing us some hubcaps and make us some money to go to the movies. Well, mom heard us, and she just simply says, I'm not coming to get you. I'm not coming to get you. And what she was saying is simply this. You go to jail, I'm not coming. <laughs> and I registered because I knew what she meant. <laughs> and she, she would always be giving her little hints out. <laughs> You do the wrong thing, you're going to answer for it. <laughs> I'm not coming. <laughs> you know. And today we have a lot of moms who rescue their kids and never allow their kids to suffer for what they've done. And as they become a young man, guess what? They're looking to be rescued for the wrong that they've done. The scripture is very clear. You'll weep what you sow. There's a penalty to it. And he says, Mom, teach them. Young people, don't forsake the teaching of mom. Turn over to 2 Timothy real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 5 through 7. Because Paul is going to remind Timothy of what he in a sense, was taught. He says in verse 5, he says, this is very good, 2 Timothy, I second to say lesson, it's a little later. 2 Timothy 5, get these glasses off, these bifocals, get it all in the way more than help. He says, 
I have been reminded of your sincere faith. What kind of faith? A sincere faith. Are you instilling into your children a sincere faith? That they are really sincere about following the Lord Jesus Christ. They are sincere about the things that they say, what they believe. See, it's one thing to speak it. It's another thing to live it. And the Lord says, I know you not. And they say, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And the Lord can say, I know you not because your mouth can run and say some wonderful things. But how you live is totally different. And he says, I have, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother. Then Lois, your mother, Eunice, and I am, per, I am persuaded now live in you also. What was Paul talking about? He's talking about three generations. Where did it start at? His grandma. I know our grandkids get tired of grandma preaching to them. When we get a call from Myrtle Beach where my son lives, one of the first things mom will ask, grandma will ask, what are you reading in the Bible? What did you learn at Sunday school? And she's going to share some things about the Lord. Now we can get on and ask, what's going on in your life? <laughs> but she's first going to talk about the things of the Lord to them. <laughs> and that whole process, as old as our daughter is and, and our son is, we still talk about the things of the Lord. Gus and I have a wonderful time talking about the Lord on the phone. Gus, 46 years old, and we still have a great time just talking about the things of the Lord. And, and that's the way it should be. And he says, three generations, grandmother, mother, now Timothy. Three generations who know the Lord from this family. And then over in Matthew 16, go over there real quick. Listen to what he says, because this is the part that's going to be applicable to the rest of the message today. If you train your child to be a success here on earth, but a failure in the sight of heaven or in the sight of God, what is that child gained? See, success in this world can also bring a lot of headaches and problems if they don't know how to navigate the problems that come with success. And therefore, one of the job of the parents is to be able to train the child to deal with the problems that come along with Success. It's good to be in management, but you got all them people problems up under you. And you got to be able to deal with the problems of people. But before you can deal with the problems of people, you got to be able to deal with your own home life and your own problems. Listen to what the scripture says here in Matthew 26. He says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world? He's a success, he's a millionaire, he got this title, that title, and every title you can imagine. Yet forfeits his soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If a man was to gain the whole world and, and, and the riches and the fame and, and the positions but don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and winds up in hell. What has he really gained? And mom, you have a great deal in setting the direction of your children. Don't lose this opportunity, this moment, this time to teach and to train and to prepare your child for opportunity. Before opportunity really comes, there always has to be preparation. If the preparation has not taken place, 
the opportunity will come and bypass them because they have not been prepared to take advantage of the opportunity. Now, as we get into today's message with that, is that as we go towards the end times and the Antichrist becomes more active, it's going to be more and more pertinent that the church family or those who call themselves Christians really teach their children in the things of the Lord. If not, they will easily be deceived by the Antichrist. And we need to understand that. It's already at work, but it's going to get worse. Now, the Bible says it's going to happen. It just doesn't tell us when it's going to happen. And we're going to hit another section in this 2 Thessalonians 2, also about the temple, because the temple cannot be rebuilt until the Sanhedrin has been reestablished. It is the Sanhedrin who runs the temple and oversees the sacrifices within the temple. In 2002, the religious group of the Jews did have a meeting to start to reestablish the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin will be the one that is over the process of the worship within the temple. Now, many, many years ago, we used to read that the dome would have to be tore down in order for the temple to be rebuilt. Well, that's not true today. Archaeologists have found that there was a mistake, but the true temple was built to the north of it. So they can build the temple without tearing down the dome. But we'll talk more about that as we hit the temple, but we're going to hit some other subjects here today. Uh, the believer in Christ must come to a place and understand they're not appointed to God's wrath. You're not appointed to God's wrath. Problem is, we just don't know exactly when God's wrath is going to be poured out. And the thing is, because we know we're not appointed to God's wrath, we will not be involved in that time. Now, in studying this, there's two words that I think that have to be studied, and I've been studying them, and I'm still looking at them. The word wrath and the word tribulation. They're not the same. Tribulation is trials. Tribulation is testing. Wrath is the furious anger of God and the displeasure of God. So when we say, boy, tribulations is the wrath, I don't know if that's really true. Because of the two differences within the word that we're not appointed to his wrath. But yet his wrath is appointed to a certain individual or group of people. And we need to really ask a question. Are we in Christ? Are we in Christ? Because that's what really is a crucial issue. If you're not in Christ, then you are appointed to his wrath. Has nothing to do with whether you were a good person, a nice person, a kind person, a gentle person, you're on your way to hell without Christ because the only ticket that gets you into heaven is Jesus Christ. Go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He's going to share something with us that we need to also understand. He says, now about, oh, Corinthians. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the good name. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation. No guilt put upon someone. Because whatever they were going to receive for their sins has been paid for on Calvary. But they have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. In accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, he took on your death, your punishment for your sin, for my sin. And because he took on my punishment, I then have the right of being clothed and being called justified because of him. Now, I'm clothed in his righteousness now. So when God sees me, he don't see me, he sees Christ. Now, with that, he says there's no condemnation for those who are, an important word here, in. Either you're in or you're out. There's no, I hear Remember when you see this old saying, if I could just get a foot in heaven. What, what you want, a foot in heaven and the rest of you in hell? No. Either you are completely in or you're completely out. Now, those which we call nominal Christians, we don't know where they're at. But I'm willing to say they're not in Christ. They got a religious form. They can talk about the Lord. But there's no real expression of love for the Lord. Isn't it strange? A woman knows if her husband really loves her. Now there's a difference of living with someone who really loves you and living with someone just for security and what they can do for you and taking care of you. So the old advice from older women back in the 50s and so forth was, he could be a drunk, he could be a drug addict, he could beat you, he could do that. You stay with him, honey. No. No. Because what they were looking at was the security. You had a roof over your head and you were being clothed and you were being fed. Well, life and love is more than that. And you can identify when you're really loved. Christ knows when you really love him or you're just playing him. Okay? And he says, if you're in me, if you're really in me, there's no condemnation. If you're really in me. Now go over to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5 and verse 9. Just going to cover a couple of verses about this thing called wrath. Because if I'm in Christ and I'm really saved, God's anger, God's wrath is not directed towards me. We will see in a couple of verses who that wrath is going to be pointed against. And he even gives us worth. Sometimes we're storing up wrath for ourselves. But in 5.9, he says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath or to suffer what he's going to pour out upon the unbeliever. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive what? Salvation. That's God's goal, that people would be saved for that they would not have to come under his wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and go to verse 10. And to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us. Now look what he's rescuing us from. He's rescuing us from the coming wrath. From the coming wrath. Because God's anger will be poured out on those who have rejected 
his son. Now, go ahead over to Ephesians 5, verse 6. It tells you whose his wrath will be poured out upon. He says, let no one deceive you. And hang on to that word deceive. That tricks you. Satan's most powerful tool is deception. To make something look good when it is not good. And that's why Satan himself comes as an angel of light. But he doesn't mean good to those who he's coming to as that angel of light. He says, 19, 5, 6, 5, 6. Get these eyes back on it again. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's warning, God's wrath comes on those who are what? Disobedient. That's a very clear text stating who God's wrath will be poured out on. Those who are disobedient, those who have been deceived and not following his word. We're going to show that in scripture. Give me a couple of minutes here. But he allows us to see that his wrath is poured out on the disobedient or the unbeliever. Go to Ephesians 2. Verse 3. Look what he says now. Sometimes the scripture takes us backwards to look forward. And this is what he does here in a sense. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our sinful nature. Now, Pastor Brown used to drink. Pastor Brown used to go down on Howard Street. Pastor Brown used to go out to Bar Tees and Barberton. Pastor Brown used to do the wrong kind of dancing. Pastor Brown did, that's when I was in the world, but not really knowing God's word or knowing God himself. So, your past becomes your past. And that's what he's talking about. All of us were where at one time? In the world. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our sinful nature. We were out to please our sinful self, our sinful bodies. And he says, and following its desires and thoughts. Its desires and thoughts. Now, that's who the wrath of God is coming upon. Now, if you live in sin and unbelief, what you're doing is really teaching yourself not to believe in God. Why? When you don't follow God's word, you're saying it's not true. And if it's not true, then what you're saying is that God is a liar. And that's why God says he has no need to lie. Because man thinks God is trying to trick them, deceive them, control their life. God controls your life whether you're saved or unsaved. He limits you on what you're able to do. And what you do, you begin to believe a lie. The lie is either placed in someone else or is placed in yourself. What we're going to see, the majority of the world will believe a lie to follow someone else. Now understand this. All of us are taught, the question is, who are we taught by? We're all taught. From the moment you come into this world, teaching begins. 
Sometimes you've got to be taught how to set the battle. But teaching begins. Now the question is, who are you being taught from? Now, there is no self-made man. Let's throw that out the window. Either you're following the advice and the wisdom or the knowledge of somebody of this world, or you are following what the Word of God says. It's not to say man doesn't have wisdom. He has limited wisdom. God has all wisdom. Man has some knowledge, but not all knowledge. God has all knowledge. Now, it depends on where you're going to begin to allow yourself to be taught from and who you're going to be taught by. You can be taught to believe a lie. And that's why it's so important that we train our children today. That they know the truth. And they have something to test. Everything, every philosophy that comes to them. They have the word of God to weigh it. The word is already living. If you're not following God's word, you're already living in a lie and deception. It will be very easy then to follow one who leads a rebellion against the Bible or against the standards or the ways of God because we're already accustomed in a sense of rebelling against God and his word. Now, you go right back to Ephesians 6, God's wrath is pointed towards those who what? Are dis obedient. Rebellion is disobedience against God. Now turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 1 through 3. Listen to what he's going to say because a lot of us when we study end times we want to state Okay, it won't start until here. It starts from the day in the garden with Satan. He was just limited on what he could do. But the rebellion started in the garden. Disobeying God. And it has just been a slow process throughout society. Now, he goes on, he says here, Dear friends, in John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Or don't believe everything that you're hearing. But test the spirit. Now, how do you test something if you don't know how to give a test? If you don't know what to test it against, you don't have a test. All you can do is believe it or choose not to believe it, but you don't know the reality of it. And he says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets, false what? False prophets. They are seen as godly individuals but they're telling you a lie. They're not telling you the truth. So how do you tell a false prophet from a true prophet? Now understand this, the prophet is just a messenger of God. Period. Just a messenger of God. And in Deuteronomy, it tells us how we can tell a true prophet from a false prophet. We don't have time to run there right now. But the whole process is, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That does what? Acknowledge. Now, you can hear truth, but you may not acknowledge truth. Somebody can tell you something that is very true and helpful to you, but you don't acknowledge it. You do your thing, and it don't work. But when you acknowledge it, you're recognizing the validity of it and the trustworthy of it, and then you follow it. And he said, those who do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then you're not following me. 
You're not following me. He said, that's one of the tests that you can give. And the answer you'll get back is, man, I don't believe in Jesus. That's just a blonde-haired, blue-eyed individual somebody made up. Well, that's not the Jesus I'm talking about. <laughs> Jesus I'm talking about is the one in the Bible. Now, you can put in whatever color and whatever other thing, but the one that I want you to really focus on is the one that's in the Bible that's being spoken about. And he says, acknowledge or recognize that spirit of God and every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the what? Antichrist. Hang on to that word as we go through this series. It's the Antichrist. Anti simply means against. You're against the Lord. Now, a lot of Christians don't think they're against the Lord. If you're not teaching your children the biblical way of life, and that's why scripture says raise up a child in the way they should go, not the way they want to go, but in the way they should go. If you're not raising up a child in the Lord Jesus Christ with the principles and standards of scripture, then you're antichrist. You're not really recognizing. You're not really acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You're trying to say there's something else out here. And he simply says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even now is already in the world. He gives us two positions here. One, which is the end time, which we're looking for Antichrist to really rise up. We're going to see him very clearly. And then the other is, he's already in here. He's already at work doing what's going to be perfected years later. I don't know what time it will take place, but he's already at work at it. You don't set a plan and don't go to work at it. If you set a plan and just dream about it, it's never going to come to pass. But if you set a plan and start working at it, eventually it comes to pass. Eventually you're able to see it. Eventually it takes root. Now, what we need to understand is that he's already at work. Now go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 through 12 with, with me. We're not going to read, read all that, but we're going to dig through it a little bit. like every Sunday this clock speeds up some kind of way. He says, we are we are being deceived right now based on the very fact that Satan has a plan to get to a certain place. If I was to ask you what is the one thing that Satan wants more than anything else? What would you say? You don't have to say it, but what would you say? Hmm. Scripture does mention that he wants our souls to sin. But you know what Satan has been after? And we're going to see it in Scripture. To be worshipped. to be worshipped. And as we go through this, we'll see it in Thessalonians 2. We're going to see it in Revelation 13 that Satan's desire is to be worshipped. Why? God is what? Worship. His desire is to be like God to be worshipped. To be worshipped. He know he cannot be God. But he, his goal is to be like God. And the greatest thing that we do for God is to 
worship him. And that's what Satan's after. Is that we would worship him. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we pick up in verse 3. It simply says, don't let anyone deceive you. Remember that word deceive I told you to hang on to? One of the ways Satan is going to get you to worship him or to worship something else other than Jesus Christ, the living God, is to deceive us or to deceive your children or to deceive those in the future. Now, it's going to be very easy to deceive based on what's taking place in our society today. Most of the church goes to church without a Bible. How many of you take a class at Akron U and don't carry the book or the lecture notes or something that that professor says you need to have? How many of you take a job and you don't get a policy from that company or what they expect from you or rules or regulations, how this work is done and so forth, you get something you're supposed to study and supposed to know. Even when you join a union, they give you a little contract, a book from the union position. But yet we become Christians and we never want to read the book. And we are today ignorant of this book. And we need to be intelligent about this book. That doesn't mean I'll know everything in this book. If a father is to be the priest of his home, the lead spiritual guide in his home, the one who gives godly wisdom in his home, where does that come from? It just don't drop out the sky. Most of us as fathers give advice from our experience, not from the word of God. And a lot of our children are going the wrong way because they have relied on experience rather than the word. And he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion. Now, whenever there's a rebellion, there's always someone leading it. A rebellion occurs, and the man and the man of lawlessness. Now, the man is a human being, but he is now empowered by Satan. He's empowered by Satan. Go a little further with me. Man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. Now, to oppose is not something that's going to take place right then. Satan's been opposing God from day one in the garden. That opposition has been there. It just not has had the privilege to do all that it desires to do because there's something holds it back. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be what? To be God. There is a deception that has to be guarded and taught in our homes today that everything that you think that might be true is not true. Buddha is not a God. Even in Buddhism, there is no God, really. There's this, this total person of wisdom and knowledge. It's an enlightenment. Islam, with their God, Allah, Allah doesn't save. Only one name given unto heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. And you can go down the list and name all these others, but there's only one name given by God that men must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. But the deception is, is that you can believe in something else and still go to heaven. And that's 
Allah has. Now, he says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you, you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Last week, we went over to Daniel, the appointed time. God has an appointed time to really reveal him. But he's being held back by the Holy Spirit, by the believers who are the light and the salt. He's being held back by the church. But one day, Satan is going to have free reign. Lawlessness means exactly that. Lawlessness. You do whatever you want to do. Or as some folks would say, I'll do all that I want to do because I'm big enough to do it. Well, if you're that big and you're that bad, you're going to think you can do it and get away with it. It's just always somebody with a quicker gun. It's always somebody who is more powerful. There's someone who can always knock you down, though you've knocked down many others. And he says, lawlessness. Lawlessness, in, over in John 3, says, lawlessness is nothing but sin. Lawlessness is sin. Out of control. And he goes on, he says, for the secret power of lawlessness. Underline that word secret. Because, see, what people are going to be wondering about is this. Where does the power come from? So in Revelation 13, he's going to tell us where the power is coming from. But to us, it's a secret. And he says, secret power of lawlessness is already what? At work. What did we just read over in 1 John 4? The Antichrist is already what? In the world at work. Lawlessness is already at work. To see it in our home is to see a rebellious child that is what? Not willing to follow the rules or the laws of the house. There's a rebellion. And rebellion always has to be dealt with. Severely. Or it's out of control. And he says, and then... The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroyed by the splendor of his coming. The coming of lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles. Underline counterfeit miracles because we're going to look at that again. Counterfeit miracles. Because that's how he's going to deceive the people. By what they see. What you see may not always be true. What looks good sometimes is not always good. Sometimes he's a good looking handsome man, but he ain't nothing but the devil on the inside. She can be a beautiful woman, wavy hair and hips and this and that, but you don't know, you ain't got hold to a witch. What may look good on the outside may wind up hurting you. And he says, boy, by counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe a lie. Now we've got to understand, what's the lie? What's the lie? The first part of the lie is the one who sits in the temple calling himself God. Calling himself God. He wants to be worshipped. And then that secret power behind him. He proclaims to be God because he desires to be worshipped. In accordance with the work of Satan, by the counterfeit miracles that are going to take place, they will believe the lie rather than believe the truth of what God's word says. 
and they will worship that one. Go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Pick up with me in verse 13 and 14. If you're reading from 12 down, you're reading about Lucifer and you're reading about Satan. So we don't have time to read the whole thing. But in 13 and 14 it says, You said in your heart, this is Lucifer, this is Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne, not God's throne. He's going to raise whose throne? His throne. Above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. He's going to do what? Make himself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depth of the pit. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Hang on to the point here of what he wants to do and also in your mind, keep in hint that what Satan wants is worship. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Pick up with me in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is during the time when Jesus is being tested in the desert or in the wilderness. The devil takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So Satan is powerful. He's in control of what? In a sense, of all the kingdom. He has some influence. And then he goes on, he says in verse 9, all this I will give you. Now you can't give what you don't have, but the only reason you have it is because God has granted it to you. Do you understand that principle? Everything you own, everything you possess, your Satan account, everything else, is all in the hands of God. Think about those people in Ukraine. Some of them people have money in the bank and today they're broke. Some of them owned a home, had a home, and that home is gone. Some of them had clothing, suits, and everything else. That's gone. All they had is just the clothes that they had on their back when they left. Just think about what all they lost in an instant of time. That could be you. That could be me. And he says, all this I will give you. He said, now listen to what he said. If you will bow down and worship me. What does Satan want? To be worshipped. To be worshipped. If you will bow down and worship me. Now, in Revelation 13, 8, and this way we may have to pick back up in two weeks. But go over to Revelation 13, verse 8. Look. Oh, come on, Bible. In verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All the inhabitants are going to do what? Worship the beast. And all whose name has not been written in the book of life belong to the Lamb. That was the slain from the creation of the world. But catch what it says in that verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Now go back down with me in verse 13. Pick up at verse 1. And then what we want to do, we're going to end this week with who is this dragon? That'll give me about four or five more minutes. He says, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The sea is not the water out here. The sea is the sea of people. That he comes out from among humanity. And he says, he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horn. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast saw, the beast saw, resembled a leopard. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. 
Now, that's describing his character. If you can know the character of a bear, a lion, a leopard, you're seeing the character of this person. Then he says, the dragon gave the beast his power. The dragon gave the beast his power. The beast had no power of its own. It's the dragon who gives it its power. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. There's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They thought he was dead, and now he's alive. They thought this person was wounded in such a way that they would die, but now he's alive. There's the copy of the resurrection. The dragon is the copy of the father. The second beast that we'll get into next, fourth Sunday, is the Holy Spirit. This beast, the first beast, is the representation of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And he says, like a lion, the dragon gave the beast his power and the throne and the great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon. Now, wait a minute. It's the beast. No, but who are they worshipping? The dragon for giving him life. We worship the Father for doing what? Raising up who? Jesus Christ. See the resemblance? Now, who is this dragon? Go over to chapter 12, pick up in verse 7, and then I'll close out. And this is the deception part that we got to understand. He wants to be worshipped. All the world is worshipping him. When we get down into verses 11 on, we'll find out it is the second beast that makes the world really worship him by the image that he creates. But in verse 7 of Revelation 7 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael, now what did he just do? He took his back again to bring us forward. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place where? In heaven. He was cast out of heaven. Remember when Jesus said he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to earth? And the great dragon was hurled down. The the ancient serpent. Where was he called the serpent at? In the garden. Called the devil. Or Satan. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Go back over again in 13. And who winds up being worshipped? Men worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan, devil. Through deception. Through miracles. And if you don't have a good, strong grip, biblical, you're going to wind up being deceived and worshiping something that is totally against God. The psalmist says, I've hid the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against God. Know God's word. Don't believe Pastor Brown. Believe what this word says. Study it for yourself. Because the scripture says, study to show yourself what? Approved. A workman rightly dividing the word of God. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord. That, Lord, you reveal truth to us that we might reveal truth to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation. Lord, we don't know when this is going to happen. What we do know is this is going to happen because it's in your word. And you will not lie to us. 
nor will you deceive us. You will speak truth to us. And may we speak truth from one generation to another generation to another generation, knowing at some point this Antichrist is going to show up and that Satan is going to empower this beast or this man or this person that they might draw people unto this area of worshiping the one who sits in that temple calling themselves God and that's a lie and they are not God but they are Satan being worshipped Lord keep us from such a deception give us wisdom give us knowledge give us truth and Lord Help us not to believe it as a myth or a fairy tale, but to understand if we take this Bible to be true about our salvation, then we have to take it to be true about everything else. Minister to us, and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We are here because of His blessing, all His bountiful blessing. We are here because of Jesus. We are here. I hope that's true. that we're gathered together to glorify one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Never get hung up on a pastor. Never get hung up on a church. Get hung up on Jesus. Know him for yourself. Father, would you dismiss us in your love? And would you strengthen us for the coming week? And Lord, would you help us, O God, to live faithfully unto you. Help us to be men of God, women of God, in such a manner, Lord, that we don't have to have a sign worn around our neck, but by the way we live and handle ourselves and behave and the way we treat others, people will recognize there's something different about us. Give us wisdom for the day in which we live. 
There's so many things we don't know. But what we do know, help us to do is what you've asked us to do, to be watchful and to be ready. Because one day you're going to return. Thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. while she's not here. Um, I'm going to start be throwing her a surprise birthday party in September. And I know our church family would, she would like for you to be there. So if you could let me know if you would like to come, I will again talk about this later on down the line. But if you would let me know, I can sure get a count of how many people are going to be coming. That way I know what we're going to do. If you could see Miss Pearl and give her your name, that would help me out a lot. Thank you. Oh, we're going to have something. <laughs> I'm going to praise his name. To do one here, here, I'll find out.